Amen. Thank you, Tanja. That's wonderful. Our birthdays. Any birthdays in the house? Yes. <laughs> Boy, we almost missed one of the most important parts of Sunday morning. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Gosh, there's a lot of birthdays. Ah, well, it is October, November. <laughs> I met someone at the light party here who, um, the little girl had the same birthday as the mother, and um, I said to the dad, how did you do that? He goes, just luck. Hey, Sandra and I have got some great news we want to share with you. Our eldest son, Micah, is engaged. So we are just absolutely wrapped. Um, so good to see that happen. Isn't it, isn't it neat seeing your kids at this stage? Wow, wow. God is good. God is good. Hey, we're starting a, a new series called 40 Days of Hope and Joy. And it's based on Steve Backlund's um, ministry, and it's called Igniting Hope Ministry. Um, and I've met Steve. He's very American, for those of you that have seen the DVDs. Would you agree? Can I get a wave if you think he's very American? But he's very real and genuine. Um, I was in some meetings with Steve and talked with him personally, and what you see on the, on the DVD is exactly who he is in, in person. He laughs, ha, 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 when he's chatting with you too. He's just being himself, being absolute, absolutely um, normal. Father, I pray that you will do something within us through this series, God, that won't be able to be um, put back in the box. I pray that your spirit will change who we are, what we believe, and how we express that so that we're different, so we're more like you, more like you, Jesus, less like who we've been up to this point in our life, whether we like ourselves or whether we don't really like ourselves. We look forward to who we are going to become as a result of this teaching in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Why don't you say to the person next to you, you're really lovely, I really like you. <laughs> Hope and joy. <laughs> okay, this is an integrated series about developing an attitude of joy, which includes laughter and rejoicing. And it also is about speaking God's truth, which we call that declarations. We're declaring what the scripture says, what God says about us. And it's about hope. It's about believing that life can be better in the future than maybe it was in the past. Anyone looking forward to a great future? I am. My future is better in the future than it has been in the past. And it's about enjoying God's presence. I love the presence of God. Those four things. Now, it's not just that I'm trying to teach about how you can have a happy, positive life, enjoying God and enjoying His favor. That will happen as a result of these topics. But that's not the purpose. That's almost like a side thing. God wants you to have a great life so you can be on mission with Him. And so that you can fulfill your destiny. And you know, if you are going to fulfill your destiny, God has got amazing promises for every single one of us. The problem is we don't believe it half the time. Because God's promises, when he whispers to us, are always bigger and brighter and more. Ah! God might want to send you to Indonesia. Or Timuka. Or into the center of our city, serving the poor. 
or take you to the heights of the corporate offices in our city or in our nation or overseas. And when he starts to whisper his plan and his purpose for you, we go, oh, man, I, I wish I could believe it. Yeah, I, I love what God does. Oh, Bradley has a, a, a God-given desire to be an MAF pilot and to, to, um, to be on the mission field flying um, in the various difficult countries in the world. And I remember when the head of MAF, sorry, Brad, I didn't ask you about this, but when the, and the head of MAF said to him, you're not ready, go and get a wife. <laughs> Bradley started. And he spotted this gorgeous girl called Alvina. And the will of God started to become not just prayer, but reality. In his life, when God whispers things into us, we think, how could that possibly be? But when God whispers, it happens if we believe and if we walk towards it. How you doing, Brad? God's got big promises. The problem is, let's go on a few slides, eh? So these things all fit together. And the reason they fit together is so that we can believe God's promises. Because between where we are now, go on to the next slide, and where we're going to be, we have to get a renewed mind. Because, go on to another slide, because the, the thing is, there's a gap between where we are and what God whispers to us about, and in between, in the middle of that gap, is lies in our heads. And unless we dethrone the lies, we never get over here. Or we get here a little bit, but we find it so hard to live in that place. And we find it hard to take the next step and the next step and the next step and accomplish what God wants in Indonesia or Tamuka or the inner city. There are lies that get in the way. God says wonderful things to us. And we, t we hear, now nah, just keep staying in your lane. Just run in your lane. And you know what? It's quite a small lane. But don't worry. After 40 years... Or so, you get out. You know, we think the enemy tells us and life tells us that we're not important, we're not special, we don't really count, we're not attractive, we, we, we haven't got the ability, we're not going to be able to do much in life, so we run in our lane and it's a pretty rutted sort of lane that just takes us in a small way around the same sort of things. But here's the truth. God's got a bigger lane. It's like a super highway, but it means the lies have got to get out of our head. They've got to be dethroned by the renewing of our minds so that we start to think as God thinks about us. God thinks we're special. God thinks we're lovely. God thinks we're beautiful. God thinks that you are absolutely forgiven because of what he's done. God thinks he's got an amazing plan for you because he's got more thoughts than there are on Brighton Beach that many of you are going to be on this afternoon because it's going to be around 30 degrees. <laughs> when you get there, pick up the sand and think about how much God has planned already about your life. He's wonderful. So these four things hang together. This is the big picture of this series. These four things hang together because they help us to expose the lies, to make the lies 
be dethroned off the throne of our thinking and help us to be able to declare what God says about us so that we can move into what he has for us. So let's have a look at the first, the first one, which is unlocking joy. Could, Mike, could you pour me some water, thanks? It would just take a little bit of time. Would you like to be more joyful? Yes. Oh, definitely not. I like the way I am. You know, if you want to be negative, if you want to be a grump, there is plenty of opportunity for you today because social media has changed the world completely and stuff that we never knew about, we now know instantly. We know when there's wars, when there's um, catastrophes, when there's wildfires, when there's climate change and murders and terrorism and financial meltdowns and housing crises and unaffordability of housing and social breakdown. And if we focus on those things, we will run in a time tiny little lane of fear. We'll never stretch out to be who we could be. You know, the media will tell you, young people, you can never own a house because they're unaffordable. And I tell you, there are people who are not much older than you in our church today who bought them. God's got a bigger plan than what the media will tell you. But if we listen to these things, the anxiety will get a hold of us and it will cause us to run small in life. So even in the negative times, you don't have to focus on the negative. Let me show you another picture. We get to choose. You know, the Bible talks about a countercultural group called Christians who do life in community called the Ecclesia. It's, it, we call it church. They do life with a company of people, and that's why it's great to come every single week to church to do life and to meet up again with those people and to be encouraged in the possibilities of what God has for us. Am I making sense? And that that group called the Ecclesia that we're all a part of will foster joy and it will grow around us and in our lives like fruit. And on top of what's growing, that joy will con- more joy will constantly be released from heaven, topping up anyone that's open. John Wimber was an amazing man of God for his day in the, in the 70s and 80s into the early 90s. And he had a vision once that a lot of Christians, as God was pouring down upon them, this stuff that looked like it was anointing, but pouring down, it looked like running honey, dripping down over people. The oil running down on Aaron's beard, onto the clothes and down. You know what a lot of Christians did? They pulled out an umbrella, put it up to keep it off them. I wonder if you've got an umbrella that you're holding over your head today that you need to consider just and putting away. You know, most of, most of you know that 10 days ago I received news about cancer that I had in 2014, that it, it has returned. And it was pretty tough news for me. Um, I got sent for a test which proved, uh, t- found that it, it was there, prostate cancer, and uh, uh, it had spread a little bit also, and, and they thought I maybe had other types of cancers as well, so they sent me for another test, um, and, and I came out, and I was still radioactive, so I couldn't be met by anyone after the tests had been done. And the nurse said to me as I was uh, just about to get changed, she said, you know where the elevator is to get out of here? And I said, yep. She said, are there any questions about anything further about this? And I said, no. And I walked towards that elevator once I'd gotten changed, and I thought, 
I, I never wanted to be in this elevator ever again. This is the third time I've been in this elevator, and I don't like this elevator. And I walked to the car, and I drove around the city, and I felt just displaced. I felt that what I had and what I was and what I was to do was somehow out of kilter with my life right at that time. I guess my emotions, I was, I was down. But within a few days, I decided I don't want to live down. I'm going to choose. I'm going to live in hope and joy. Because God hasn't changed, and his promises for me haven't changed. God said to me in 2014, this sickness is not unto death. So it can come back, but it's not unto death. It's, not, it's just going to be beaten again. God has not changed. And I want to ask you a question today. Can the amount of joy that we have as Christians increase? Now, I know it can grow because it's a fruit. It will grow whether you want to be grumpy or not. You will get happier by hanging around God's people and God's kingdom. But can it significantly increase? And if it can, do you personally want more? Why don't you ask a friend who's sitting close to you, or someone if you, don't, if you have not sitting next to a friend, <laughs> whether you, they would like you to be more happy? I'll guarantee most people have got an affirmative. <laughs> yes, please, especially Monday morning. You know, when I got saved, I went from tears, and I had been crying because I was under the conviction of God. I'd been crying for 15 minutes, just pouring, blubbering, just pouring tears out of my eyes. And I went, after I asked Jesus into my life, to laughter. And I laughed so hard, and for so long, it hurt. I was beginning to go, I can't laugh all that much more. This is painful. And it was a spiritual experience of joy that was so wonderful, it felt like my feet did not touch the ground for nine days, literally. I got up the next day, the next day, the next day, the next day, go through school, you know, just doing the normal stuff. But I felt like I was walking on air. It was just amazing. It was so real, I've never, ever taken drugs. I've been offered drugs at various parties, but I, I, I said, look, I've got the real thing. I, you couldn't interest me in taking drugs and I, throughout my entire, entire life. I know God's joy. I know his laughter. I know rejoicing. So is so much more than any chemical high. The Lord Most High is higher than any chemical high. Amen. That's what he gives to us. And, and, and I've gone looking for that in God all my life. And what I've found is some churches are, have releases of anointings of joy and some don't. So I've gone to churches that see that release of joy come over them. And I'm asking today, what if spiritual joy is a fruit from God, but if the soil of our hearts and our lives can limit or block that joy from becoming what it's supposed to be? You know, there's a lot of joy in the New Testament and the disciples, especially in Jesus. Now, a lot of people don't like a, a glad Jesus, a happy Jesus. The Jesus I serve, he's joyful. He's so full of joy, and I'm just like him. 
Jesus was abundantly joyful. He was laughing. He was having fun. He was fun to be around. He had a quality that drew people to him. It wasn't this. It was that same quality that got right under the skin of the religious people. Had to stop being so happy in the temple. Stop healing people on a Sunday and blessing their lives. I don't care if they are happy now. God doesn't do that. Jesus would probably go, really? Jesus was more joyful than any other person in his day alive on the world, on our planet. Have a look at the scripture in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But to the Son, He, the Father, says, Your throne, O Son, O God. So the Father calls the Son God. It's one of those great verses to know about Jesus where you say, How do we know Jesus was actually God? It's one of these amazing verses. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God, me, the Father, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. In other words, Jesus had a laughter anointing. The CEV, the Contemporary English Version, says, I appointed you and I made you happier than all of your friends. And a lot of people think that Jesus was like Mr. Spock going back to Star Trek, you know? Captain Kirk would tell him something that had emotion in it, and he would go, does not compute. From this very analytical brain going around. And a lot of people think that Jesus was like that. Above emotion. But actually the scriptures are telling us he was full of emotion. And the number one emotion he had was happiness. And his first miracle was turning water into wine. Now I know his mother told him to do it. But he, he did do it. Think of this. This wedding. And the weddings went on for several days. Don't you love it when a wedding celebration goes on day after day after day? Come on, you folks who've run those sort of weddings. They're they're great, aren't they? They're just incredible times. Well, all the guests had drunk everything. They'd even drunk the vinegar, I imagine. They'd drunk the lot. And Jesus doesn't just make one jar full. He gives them a supply of six jars, I think. So that the party could go on and on and on. He likes being with people who are happy and enjoying themselves. Now, I'm not promoting drunkenness. and I don't think Jesus was. He probably had a 4.2 on the alcohol scale and the wine. You with me? We're not promoting drunkenness. But he he's likes being around people who are happy. Because he had more joy and anointing. And that's what I was chasing as a kid. That's what came on me when I was 16 and gave my life to Jesus. An anointing came on me, which turned me from despair and, oh no, I'm completely undone. I deserve hell. To, wow, such joy in knowing Jesus. And I've been chasing that all my life and trying to release it over people as well. 
Let me take you to Luke chapter 10. And this is the passage where Jesus has sent the 72 out to just go and get into people's lives and share the kingdom and heal people. And they ended up casting out demons as well. And, and, and then they come back. And this is what it says in verse 21. At that time, Jesus, read it. Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Now, some people would read that. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, of heaven and earth. You know what, how it would have been in reality? Because a few verses back, it says all the disciples came back and they were literally jumping for joy. Even demons, even demons submit to us when we pray in your name. They're going, woo, it works. It works. I've just proved the kingdom of God in my life. And Jesus is going, yes, 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 as he sees them coming down the road. He's going, wow, they've got it, Father. They've got it, Father. They've got it, Father. Can we go back to the verse? I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and you've revealed them to these guys, like little kids. They're just bursting with joy. That's the reality of what it would have looked like. John chapter 15 and verse 11, he says, Jesus Praise, and it's not long before the cross. And he says, I've told you these things so that you, would you say you? Say me. Me. You will be filled with joy, my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. He's talking about just spending time with God and, and going after God's will and having his words in our mouth. And he says, if we do do this, My joy is going to be in you, and you're going to have more than you can contain. I've met many people who say, I'm I'm joyful. It's an inner joy. It's a deep well that I draw from. But Jesus is saying here, this well is going to explode. It's going to come out so that your hands move. It's like when the All Blacks are scoring a try as opposed to the game when they didn't score a try. (laughs) Well, they did. They did. They got one, didn't they? (laughs) It's like, yes, 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 come on, come on. As they cross. Your joy will overflow. And this is incredible because Jesus is actually saying that the, the, the anointing that's on him, where he's the happiest man on the planet... It's going to come upon the disciples and therefore is going to also come upon disciples in every age. If they take the umbrella down and put it aside and say, God, I want it. I'm open. I want to grow in this. It gets even more that way. You know, I want to be someone who sees life from a glass that's half full, not half empty. Oh, no, cancer. I've got a God who heals. I'm going to believe. You know what happens? Even even when people come to believing and and their time is up and they die, we go to heaven. 
We go to heaven. Have you journeyed with someone who's close to death recently? Have you journeyed with a strong Christian who's close to death recently and seen the peace and the serenity that does come over their lives as they work through? I'm not talking about triumphalism. I'm not talking about let's just forget that and pretend it doesn't exist. I'm talking about working through the emotions. There are times when you just cry with people. There are times when you just you know, the tears come and you're sad with them. But seeing a passionate believer come close to death and the window opens up and suddenly the future is before them, which is an eternal future, and you see the peace and you see the happiness and you see things that humanly you think, how can it be that way? But that's, that's what's going to happen for every single one of us. Jesus prays even more about, about uh, joy. In, in what is called the high priestly prayer in John chapter 15, uh, 17. This is seen by scholars probably as, as the pinnacle prayers that Jesus prays for um, his people. And he says this in John 17 verse 13. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still with you, still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. If Jesus is willing to give us the full measure of happiness and rejoicing and celebration and party and joy in our life, why would we say, oh, no, I only want one of those, thanks, and eat? I was thinking of a Ninish tart. <laughs> when the table spread with a whole supply of what he has for every single one of us that sustains us, that, that, that causes us to just be joyful. Now, Jesus in John chapter 17 isn't wasting any words. If he's praying about joy for his people, you can believe that it is absolutely essential that his people are full of joy. Absolutely. He prays only the important stuff, and he prays that the full measure of the anointing of joy that's over him can be upon his church. It's like he's saying, give me the checkbook, Father. I'm going to write out and sign it right now for the full measure of joy for everyone who is open to it and after it. Yeah. And it brings you to the point where you say, well, Why? What's, what's going on here? Why is joy that important? Well, let me take you back to Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, to a verse you've probably heard many, many times. And, and it says this, Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your... The joy of the Lord is your strength. Friends, that verse is a truism. It means it was true then, it's true now, it was true for Jesus, and it's always true. Yeah. You see, for Jesus, it was the joy, the capacity of joy that he had within him that was enough to sustain him through six hours of torture on a cross. Wow. It was the capacity of joy that he had within him that was enough to sustain him for that incredible death, the joy of the Lord was Jesus' strength to get him through what humanly 
was the most torturous way of killing someone that had ever been invented. And the joy of the Lord is our strength too. Now the context of this in Nehemiah is that Ezra and then Nehemiah had come back to the land after 70 years of exile in Babylon. And now they were back in Israel again. And having been to Israel and, and been there, I can imagine what they were thinking seeing and feeling. They were looking around, and everywhere they looked, they saw destruction. And, and Ezra says, right, we're going to preach for six hours. Get everybody to come. And they opened the Word of God, and from, from the moment the sun rose till it was midday, so right into the heat of the day, everyone in Israel stood around as they preached they read the word and then the preachers stood up and they explained the word to the people. And for six hours, the people stayed still and listened. Is that a miracle? Six hours of preaching. And during that six hours, every single person that was there got it. In other words, they understood. They had been in Babylon as a people for 70 years. They'd all been born there. And now they've come back. They've seen all the destruction. They've seen the wall broken down. They they've know where Solomon's temple was. And their parents have told them it was an amazing temple. And the one that's being built there is only a fraction of the glory that that one was. And they've seen all this destruction, houses, walls, city, destroyed. And now they're hearing from the word of God why it happened. And the people got it. It was because they were unfaithful. They had committed spiritual adultery. Their parents' generation and the generation before them and the generation before them and the generation before them had said, we want to commit adultery with other gods. We don't want to serve you, Yahweh. We're going after the Baals and the Asherah and other, other deities. And the people got it to the extent that they were smitten and they realized if I was my parents, I would have done that too. And they start bursting out in tears because they know that they actually deserve everything that has just come on the nation. And Ezra and Nehemiah jump up and they go, Stop! Stop crying! You! Stop crying! You! Stop crying! They say, Yes, we all deserve this. But look, Yahweh, our God, is still faithful. His love is still towards us. We've been given the second and the third and the fifth and the 25th and the 35th chance again. What I want you to do is I want you to go and get happy, everybody. Here's what you do. Go and bake some choice food and drink some sweet stuff that'll make you feel good. And if you see anyone who hasn't got any food, give it to them as well. Because you are to go and get happy and party because... The joy of the Lord is your strength. Think about what God has done. Yes, that all happened. And yes, they were all guilty. And we're just as guilty as they were. But our God is still faithful and he has called us back. And you see, that's why the joy of the Lord is a truism. Because God does that in our day. And he did it in our parents' day. And he did it in the generation before them as well. And they felt as if they couldn't measure up. And, and they believed the lies that were in their heads that needed to get dethroned. Because God says, I'd never give up on you. I'm with you. I'll stay with you. So go and party because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Wow. 
And then the Bible makes an even broader statement about laughing and, and happiness and joy. In, in um, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 22, can someone say it? Oh, okay. <laughs> it doesn't even put a specific need for laughter to be spiritual. We don't have to use some sort of grid that goes through, should I laugh at this? Has it got anything to do with God in it? It just says, a merry heart is like medicine to the soul. Let your heart rejoice over stuff. It says, a broken spirit, a dream that is cruelly broken and has no chance of ever coming to pass, and often that's to do with unforgiveness and bitterness. It can bring cancer on a person's body. It can bring sickness on a person's body. But laughter is like medicine. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't even say you can only be happy about God things. He wants us to be happy about God things. They're amazing, the promises. Bradley's very happy with Alvina. Alvina's very happy with Bradley. <laughs> Best days of their life. But I watched Mr. Bean on the, on the flight back from one of the flights back from Israel. It was... Um, The Bond one. Johnny English. I just chuckled all the way through it. I just could not stop. I've got to get that movie somehow. Uh, I'm, so I'm watching my movie going, <laughs> Sandra's watching her movie and also watching me, thinking, you idiot. But I, I just couldn't stop. I just, ah, it's so good. So funny. And you know what? It does incredible things of freedom and joy and, and medicine to anybody's heart that laughs. So how can laughter be used for freedom? And that's where we come to laughing at lies. You know, if you laugh at something, it, that thing loses its power to be able to intimidate. If you laugh at something you're scared about, it diminishes, doesn't it? If someone's being really cruel to you and saying things, but you go home and you just laugh, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be intimidated by that and laugh. It just drops right down. I think that's one of the most amazing things that laughter can do to the assignments of the enemy. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 2 that the father laughs at the plans of the enemy, the schemes. Have a look at this scripture. Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. That's what the world is constantly trying to do. That's what the enemy's constantly trying to, to cause people to do. But have a look what the Father does. But the one who rules in heaven just laughs. <laughs> ah, he scoffs at them. And then in anger, he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. Now, friends, I don't think God gets intimidated at all. It's not like that for him. He's just laughing at the futility of these nations trying to form alliances so they can attack whatever they're wanting to attack or the devil doing something in a Christian's life. He just laughs at that. But for us, if we're going to... Do what, what our God does and laugh at, at lies, the assignments of the enemy. You know, there are times, and I think I'm in one now, where the enemy has put an assignment on my life to do something to destroy, 
to bring me down, to distract, to take away. If I laugh at that thing, it just pushes it out the way. And it allows the truth to be able to be, um, to, to be believed. You know, when I find that the enemy or my, or my own thoughts are saying to me, I'm too sinful for Jesus to forgive me. You've done something and you can't be forgiven for that. You, you're too sinful for Jesus to forgive me. If I laugh at that thought when I, when I hear it, it just gets pushed aside. And it's much easier for the truth of, I'm righteous. Because Jesus gave me his righteousness. It's not about me. I believe I've got Jesus' righteousness. Therefore, I'm totally righteous. Or when I find the lie that, like, this cancer is going to kill me, just like the prostrate cancer killed Sandra's uncle, and I took his funeral. And I laugh at that. It's easier for the truth that on the cross, Jesus released healing for every disease. And on the cross, Jesus didn't miss out a disease that hadn't been given a name yet. It was all dealt with. There was nothing that Jesus goes, oh, flip, I wish I'd thought of that when I was on the cross. I would have dealt with that too. You're laughing at it, which is exactly what I'm trying to encourage us to actually do. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to laugh in group meetings. For some people, laughing as a group, except if it just... You do it by accident. Um, You feel uncomfortable. But other people, that's fine to be able to laugh like that. But what I do want to say is laugh when you're alone. Get alone and laugh at some of the things. When you find a lie, remember it. Get home and just laugh at that sucker. And just see it go down. Another thing I've discovered is that laughter can provide a channel for the Holy Spirit to be able to flow through to bring healing. About four, maybe four and a half years ago, George Hatting had bowel cancer, and it was serious, very serious. And Jeanette and I agreed to pray for George at regular intervals. And I remember one day we went to pray with George and Ziggy at their place, and for some reason um, we started to pray, and we started, Jeanette and I started laughing. And the more we laughed, the more we prayed. And the more we prayed, the more we laughed. And then George started laughing too, and Ziggy's laughing, and we were just laughing at what the enemy was doing. And I want to tell you, you can talk to George about this, but George looks at that day as one of the significant days in his healing recovery to come through bowel cancer. It's incredible what God can do. Now, I'm not saying this as a method. Jesus used a lot of strange things to heal people, remember? We don't teach people to do that these days. But if Jesus says, spit on someone and put your hand on their eyes, I suggest you do it. But I am very, very open to laughing at people's sickness. And laughing at the assignment, not laughing at, well, yes, laughing at their sickness. I'm not laughing at them at all. I have great compassion. But the assignment that the enemy's trying to convince us is going to be the thing that is going to do what the enemy wants it to do, laugh at it. I'm very open to it. So in conclusion, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It, you are going to get happier whether you like it or not. Sorry if you're grumpy, you just will get happier. But I am also convinced that it's quite possible to stunt its growth if you try hard enough. 
And I also think it's uh, possible to create an environment around our lives where more joy can be developed and deployed. And Jesus wants us to have as much joy as he had. Therefore, for every single one of us, I know I'm speaking the truth when I say, you can have more. The question is, what's over your head? Do you want the joy? Because honey's a little bit sticky. What am I doing to my hair? (laughs) Who cares? As it runs down. You know this thing about being a fool for Christ? It's actually really true. Jesus calls us to be more concerned about him than about what people think about us. You know, he even says, stir up the joy. Stir up your joy quotient. He said, when people revile you and say mean things about you because of me, he says, you are blessed. Stir up the joy quotient that you've got. Go and celebrate. Go and rejoice that you've been um, treated in that way because that's exactly how they treated the the apostles and and the disciples. In other words, you're part of a special, unique group. You've been specially selected. You know, if the media were to pick on you and social media or TV and interviews were to pick on you because of your faith in Jesus Christ, the amount of joy we have on the inside, you will either be crushed or you will just stand there and go. Stir it up. He says, stir it up. Stir it up. Go home. Get in your bedroom and just laugh at what has just taken place. Down to size. And realize you're actually in a good place. You're where the, the, the prophets of old were when the people just absolutely rejected them and said terrible things about them and killed a lot of them. The joy of the Lord is what will take us through all the, all the obstacles, all the things that are out there in front of us. It's an amazing thought that we can be the happiest people on earth, irrespective of outward circumstances. And I think that's a real journey, but it's one I'm committed to. I hope you're committed to. Robert's going to lead us in a time of communion now, so I'm just going to ask if he would come.